Welcome back everyone to our Presidents of Electronic Fixed Income Trading Panel. Uh, this is our segment where we focus on electronic uh, fixed income trading. We have three notable presidents from uh, the fixed income electronic trading industry. Uh, Chris Kincannon, President and COO of Market Access, Billy Hult, President of TradeWeb, and finally Mike Sobel, uh, President of Trubit. So I guess to start guys, uh, you know, I think everybody knows your competitors, but as we, you know, we talked to Rick McVeigh and we talked to Lee Aleski, uh, the overall goal still seems to bring, you know, how much can we get this market to move electronically, more electronically? So I guess my question is to you guys is, you know, what's complementary about, do you actually see benefits of some of the protocols and the advancements that some of your peers are doing to overall move the, uh, the, the, the incumbents, uh, move, move business away from them and more in the electronic sort of sphere? Or have I got this completely wrong or not? Because I've looked at other industries. Go to your next question, Rick. <laughs> but at least you have to at least point me out where I'm right or wrong about. No, this. I look. I, I, I um, and I know Billy has some thoughts here too. But um, you know, there is this. Um, there is a overall benefit um, as um, the global investors adopt uh, electronic trading. I do think the number one competitor in the space for all of us is, is the phone and chat, right? This is a highly manual um, asset class. Um, there's a lot of interactions with, um, with humans on phones and, and chat, and that you find that across all the different components of the market, uh, whether it's credit or uh, government securities or emerging markets. Emerging markets in particular is uh, heavily used the phone. So, there is a benefit to all of us, you know, pre, you know, preaching the benefits of electronic trading, um, and then you know there is a, a benefit to network effect overall. But I, I do think um, when you're talking about shareholder value, having a network effect of clients and dealers is important. Just having a network of dealers is, you know, it doesn't. It, it, it's uh, easier to do. Um, is that it's that true long-term shareholder value where you're creating a network effect of client activity, client usage, and uh, broad distribution. I can I can um, I can kind of say it a little bit this way for for a second, Rich. Like when you flash that screen and you had kind of Chris listed first, did I personally wince like a tiny bit? So. We're, we're all a little bit competitive. We can, we can, we can admit that to ourselves. And then there's, there's of course, and like I can kind of say this a little bit, like maybe um, we can close our eyes and remember like pre-pandemic, there were moments where we would run into each other, like kind of seeing the same customer, like, be, you know, run into each other in the, in the elevator or the lobby. So there's that sort of unquestionable kind of competitive dynamic when you're kind of after the same clients and after the same types of trades and all of that, but a hundred percent agreeing um, with Chris that at the end of the day, we all kind of understand who our real competitor is. And I think there is a value to sort of just, just obviously just raising the consciousness of what we're doing. And then I think you guys remember this, there was like that old, um, commercial from like way back when, and I think it was a lending tree. It was sort of like when banks compete 
sort of we win. I, I, I think that there's this sort of general idea out there that as, you know, we all become ultimately more innovative in the space, the, 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 the clients win. Um, and so I, I do feel like we've all kind of gotten better as we've learned to kind of compete against each other and solve needs for the clients. And so in that general way, I think it really all works pretty well. I think that's, I think that's right. And changing behavior is hard. Uh, there's a lot of people in the community that, and, and uh, who have traded bonds a certain way for a long time. And to have multiple organizations taking slightly different approaches, iterating towards some set of uh, desirable solutions for the marketplace. I, I think it helps us. Uh, I think it helps us all get there quicker. All being market participants as well as as well as our as well as ourselves. So um, I'm sure there's there's segments of the client base that that Chris and Billy and their teams have brought into the brought into the big tent and gotten comfortable with electronic trading. And I'd like to think we've done that as well. And we're just that's the the the, the broad net community network of um, of institutions comfortable trading electronically, that does benefit uh, the marketplace overall. At the end of the day, I mean, we believe firmly that uh, electronification of the asset class is is increasing. Um, this is we're a long ways off from this being a, a zero sum game. So, to the extent that we're all doing things to create more liquidity, uh, I think there's there's a lot of winners here. Uh, first, uh, Billy and, and Mike, I just want to make it clear. Chris being listed first was purely alphabetical. <laughs> no other ranking system other than that. Uh, but back to this. By, 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 by first name or by last name? By um, last name. <laughs> <laughs> by both. <laughs> no. uh, this network effect, and this is going to be a theme that we talk about with exchanges, uh, with some of the uh, fintech companies as well. Uh, but I guess I wanted. I'm I'm not sure as, if people are as familiar with TrueMid and, and as well as you know sort of where your focus has been on what types of trading because we have seen and, and you can disagree and, and uh, point tell me I'm wrong but you know we've seen market access get uh, you know your all to all trading network is you know a great liquidity pool a commanding liquidity pool as well as you know the RFQ process. Billy, the portfolio trading at at uh, TradeWeb, uh, you know, has really helped help you know distinguish itself. Uh, dealer swaps and the dealer, uh, you know, the dealer prep uh, uh, direct directed trades. Uh, Mike, if you could just tell people just to get them up to speed a little bit more, Truman's focus, and I'll just let you run with it rather than me trying to explain. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I think we've taken. We've taken a, a little bit of a different approach um, over the, the five six years we've been at this. Um, you know, in many ways we we had we had to. Uh, we've got you know both of the uh, you know both of the folks on the phone whose organizations were doing a lot of things really well and, and continue to. Um, so you know we've had to uh, address slightly different segments of the market. We've done that from from the beginning because. We thought there were areas of the market that really could be very well served by electronic trading and technology that were kind of not yet being addressed. The the, the protocols uh, that we've built are you know consistent with the segments of the market that we're that we're looking to address um, that are slightly different. Uh, you know, our average trade sizes um, from from early on have been uh, ha have been larger. Um, to oversimplify, you could say we focus on block trades. Not exactly right, but kind of close enough. 
Um, you know, we started out exclusively sort of all to all um, slash anonymous at the time. That was, um, you know, a, a, a radical concept. Uh, it certainly was not the easiest sell in the early days. It's become more widely accepted uh, as a, um, you know, a part of the market ecosystem. Maybe now it's, um, you know, I call it kind of progressive, if not, if not radical. Um, so, you know, the other thing that we've done uh, more recently over the past several years that's been very well received is uh, what we call attributed trading, which is for all intents and purposes, direct streams. Uh, but the aggregation of, of liquidity from a diversity of, of liquidity providers for the benefit of the buy side uh, has, and that this is a, a, a bilateral name give up uh, protocol uh, that, uh, that we think is really in many ways a workflow solution. Uh, it helps, you know, we're focused on particularly in the last 12, 15 months, I think the client base for all of us is, you know, thinking about what the, what the next chapters of their own operating models look like. Uh, and, you know, we're really focused on being, being an important part of that. I mean, this is not, none of this is not rocket science that any of us are, are, are doing here. Really, it's about, uh, I think, you know, listening to clients, working with them. Uh, and we have the, you know, the benefit as a, as a, a newer company who's been so far singularly focused on the U.S. credit market of being able to be, you know, pretty nimble and responsive uh, and have just tried to, you know, to, to move toward uh, what clients need, uh, buy side and sell side and, and where the market's going. Uh, and we think that, you know, that's really will continue to be how we differentiate ourselves. Great. Uh, I'm going to let Rich, I'm going to let Chris go in a second on this, but the, the only thing I would just add that I think is just interesting is like, there's the network of it all. And we all kind of understand that when we were doing um, the trade with IPO way back when it was like network was like written in ink around everything that we were doing and talking and saying to the investors. There's also what I would describe as the way that you collaborate or interact with the network, which I think is as important as anything. Are you actually like really sitting down and talking and engaging with the clients and solving problems? And I think in an interesting way to your first question around kind of how we compete and the way that we sort of interact with each other, I think there's a common, generally, there's a really important kind of common ethos that we all kind of approach the space around collaboration. Um, and I think that's a, just an important concept um, for us to keep in mind. See, Chris, that was Billy's way of letting you go next. So, <laughs> so he did recognize me at the beginning of his answer. <laughs> I did not often Mike's uh, answer. I fell asleep. <laughs> All right. that, that, that's a great point, uh, Billy, the, the whole network thing. Again, it's going to be a theme. But I, I want to give you guys fair time as well though, to, to explain sort of, Chris, you know, how did you get the, you know, the all-to-all, -all, you know, liquidity, strong liquidity pool that you did in the RFQ? And Billy, you know, is it the environment or whatever? But, you know, portfolio trading is, seems like it's hitting the sweet spot at, at TradeWeb, if I get my sources right. But uh, I'll let either of you go. If, well, I, I mean, I'm happy to talk about all-to-all -all because there's a there's a missing piece in in the growth of electronic trading that is worth talking about, and that's um, just the overall indexation of the fixed income market um, and allowing uh, multiple parties to engage in uh, interactions on the network. And uh, we've seen that all-to-all -all has really allowed alternative liquidity providers, ETF market <coughs> generally, to join the market and provide price improvement. 
And as uh, the indexation of fixed income markets continues and ETF assets and AUM grow, and we're seeing that record growth continue, um, the, the correlation between the ETF market and the underlying corporate bond market will continue to grow. And that's, that's good for all of us. It's, it's particularly good if you have a real all-to-all solution that allows uh, alternative liquidity providers to, to show uh, alternative liquidity to investors around the globe. And uh, I, I think uh, those types of protocols, I, I always look at, there's lots of protocols that are really cool, um, but having that all-to-all and unique liquidity is critical to any protocol. If you don't have the right dealers on the platform, uh, then that network has challenges o- over time. We were we were impressed with with what Market Access had done with Altall, and I, you've heard me say that before, Rich. Like I say it very bluntly, we were really impressed, and we didn't think it was going to be easy to just compete with them on that. So we had to figure out in a very straightforward way, like, hey, look, we have to make sure our network works in Altall because that's a fundamental piece of the market. Period. And then second of all. In an obvious way, and 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 Mike knows this also. Like we had to figure out like something to do differently that would add value to the, you know, for the clients. And for us, the first part of that was around kind of adding treasuries into the into the credit process around net spotting and, and net hedging. And then the second and very important kind of piece was something innovative just around credit flow. And I think we built something interesting around portfolio trading that has clearly resonated with a segment of of the client base and is going to continue to resonate. And, and part of that has been around, I think, the work from home environment. But part of that is just a light bulb that's gone off around how it's kind of saved clients time and time and money, which we all know, you know, generally speaking, is one of the most important things you can do. Um, so for us, it was always about, you know, is there room for competition and credit? And, and we felt very strongly that there was. And then it was like, okay, well, we have to figure out really something to do differently and something to be able to really make an impact into, into clients. And so that, that really became the sort of thought process for us around portfolio trading. And certainly it appears the lower volatility is, is helping. Uh, so uh, in fact, I'm going to, this is Billy's question that he brought up and I wasn't aware of this sort of push pull, but how do you, I guess, how do you balance the, the, the different agendas of demand between the buy side and the sell side where the buy side, you, you know, is more aggressive or I believe uh, about moving towards electronics when the sell side may be still a little bit more complacent about it. So how, yeah. how do you, how do you manage it, that? It's, it's, it's like the joke around, like, you know, you, you do it carefully, right? So it's an, a little bit of an art, I think on, on some level. And I think you guys, Listen, there's, there's been, you know, historically some resistance all the way through, and we all kind of know those stories, you know, pretty well. I remember, you know, for me back in the early days, it was, was, it was always a little bit like sort of, especially with, with some of the banks way back when, it was a little bit of like, hey, great job, don't ever do that again kind of thing, right? So you had to figure out the right way to kind of plow through that. Um, having the buy side on board is always extremely helpful. So we would try to kind of solve the problem from that perspective first and then figure out the right way back to what we were all talking about, which is like, you know, collaborate, figure out the right way to kind of innovate and bring the market along, knowing that you're going to face resistance along the way. I mean, the, 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 the biggest market for us 
where there was massive resistance for a really long time was was obviously uh, global interest rate swaps. Um, you know, it was sort of like, hey, we saw the government bond market go electronic. We saw the mortgage market go electronic. Like, this is not going to happen. And so we had to pick and choose our spots, kind of be careful along the way. And then, and then, as we all know, you know, regulation really changed the game there, and we were really, really well suited. Um, but it is, it is as much as anything an art just around creating that right balance and not tipping it too far one way where you lose the support. And, and Rich, I, I do think, and I know Mike and Billy will agree with this, that both our sell side clients and our buy side clients are reaching points of technical challenges, right? Their resources are deployed in many different directions, ton of technical resources on compliance and regulatory obligations. And so when they see vendors like the three of us, we become an outsourced resource to their technology needs. And so those demands, and the demands come from both sell side and buy side, we are solving issues for them. And if you look at the sell side business model, they want to scale. They want to push more price to more clients around the planet with less people. And that's technology solutions um, that you see here on the panel. Uh, the buy side wants more functionality, more workflow, um, fix all of their inefficiencies around how they form price uh, for every ticket item they have. And they have many more ticket items than ever before. So we, we are really this important um, part of the ecosystem where we're solving technical problems for both parties. Yeah, I think that's right. The resistance um, and, and frankly, the, 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 if it's not, if not resistance, just kind of, uh, you know, discomfort with, with, uh, with change and things being new and the risks introduced by um, kind of changes to workflow. You know, I think that that has come down quite a bit over the course of the last several years for I think a lot of the reasons that Chris is talking about. People are um, in, from all sides uh, thinking pretty actively about what the next years of their business models look like. Technology has to be a more, uh, important, uh, important part of that. And I think a lot of the, um, certainly the workflows we're delivering, I don't think we're alone, we're alone on this. They are, um, they're, these are not, it's not a zero sum game. These are, uh, they're not necessarily disintermediating. They are, uh, they facilitate and I think optimize the very important, um, dealer client relationships. Uh, and we've been, you know, the, the, a lot of the new things that we're doing, thinking about, talking about, have been collaborative and, and, and pretty well embraced. Um, in fact, I think there's a lot of instances where, um, where the, the sell side, the traditional sell side, and certainly the, the kind of alternative sell side um, is leading the charge uh, on some of the next things coming down the pike in electronification. Having the, having the banks make as much money, for example, in fixed income as they did in 2020 at the exact same time that the markets were going clearly to a next level around electronification was a great kind of turn of events because it, 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 it dispelled the myth, right? The myth was always like, as the markets go electronic, I can't make money anymore. Well, that proved to absolutely not be the case. And I think that that is now, it has now changed the conversation uh, in a pretty significant way. Yeah, it certainly makes it an easier transition if you're making, having record quarters uh, on the desk. So uh, what was the virtual desk, so to speak. (laughs) So uh, a wise man told told me I was wrong about this, but 
generally, I've thought that with higher volatility, that people don't necessarily go to the the more innovative. They go back to the, sort of the some of their older ways of trading. Uh, but I've been pointed that that I could be wrong about this, and I'm willing to hear the opposite side. Uh, now, Lee Oleski just said he, he thought that in extreme volatility, they go back, maybe not normal, uh, elevated, but extreme volatility, I think he was talking about the treasury markets. In either case, people went more electronic last year. Uh, and I, I, my question was gonna be, you know, why is fixed income or, or treasury credit, why is it different that people didn't revert back? And I guess in some ways they did in extreme volatility in the treasuries, but, Chris would point out that that's really not the case. They go to uh, with certainty of execution. And I, I guess my question is, where do I get it right? Where do I get it wrong uh, on, on what happened last year? Because we know it did go more electronic. Uh, and I thought that would, that was unusual. And, and you know, is it not or, uh, or, or is it? <laughs> well, I, I th I'll start with this, Rich. You're, you're always right. Uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, and I'll second saying I'm not gonna I can't disagree with Lee on the call, so now I'm, I'm boxed right. into right. already boxed in, Billy. <laughs> yeah, you both are you're both pinned. <laughs> but, but here's I, I think and, and look, last year was a unique year for all of us, and there was unique things happening in the market around balance sheet deployment. We we can't forget where liquidity was being provided into the market, but um in a more mature electronic market, um, uh, you typically, for example, global equities and futures, you will typically see a race to the electronic solution because you just have to get price certainty and get stuff done. And if, if in a more mature electronic market, the OTC market, which is pricing off of the, the, the main market is typically not the place to go. And people don't exactly, will, will, won't provide liquidity as robust as on on screen or on market, I think um, particularly in in 2020, um, we had people in dire need of liquidity and and dire need of liquidity at reasonable prices as prices gapped. And uh, what you saw was um, not only demand for electronic workflow; it's just easier to get stuff done quickly. But you also saw the benefit of price on the platforms, um, particularly in all to all where there was alternative liquidity providers providing price on the platform. Remember that during that pandemic, the ETF market was just in, in historical turnover rates. And uh, even though there was some gapping in price, they, they passed the test of liquidity and that liquidity was derived from the underlying corporate bond market, whether it's uh, treasuries or or or, uh, or corporate um, credit, and so I, I do think um, the adoption of electronic trading as we mature will be the dominant force when the markets gap. And and if you look at in the last month, uh, markets have been very stable. Volatility has been quite low, low, and uh, electronic trading isn't exploding right now. But uh, if you're betting that there's no um, calamity ahead, uh, I'd like to take the other side of that bet. I'm not betting that. You know, I think the tools, um, I mean, last year was, was you know, obviously 
any definition of extreme volatility last year qualifies. And you also had, you know, not just disruptions in the market, but you had operating disruptions, which was a double whammy. The market was was historically volatile and everyone was, you know, trying to do it from home on a laptop. And, you know, I think it's, you know, we were super proud and I'm sure, you know, Billy and Chris feel the same way. The tools worked um, under very difficult conditions. Um, users were able to, you know, buyers and sellers were able to find each other. Price formation uh, was kind of taking place in a very challenging environment and, and liquidity was found and trades were going through. And, you know, I think we, and a lot, I, I think a lot of people um, on all sides were kind of by forced to use um, uh, electronic trading more than they had otherwise, because that was, you know, where the liquidity was and it worked for them. And we found, um, and I think market-wide, has the, the, the results have been that that behavior uh, has, been, has been sticky, that kind of electronification of legacy workflows, which is a kind of a global theme across industries, um, and a lot of new, uh, new tools, new toys uh, were kind of tried during those crazy few months. And a lot of them, not just trading-wise, with what we're doing right now, um, they worked. And people have kind of continued to use those things. We've seen, I think it's real, a real testament to the, the strength of the secular trend that under extreme volatility, electronic trading kind of took a few marches forward. And now conditions have changed, changed 180 degrees. Uh, and, you know, nothing is gapping higher, but um, electronic trading continues to march forward. I mean, we're seeing, you know, almost twice as many people trading on the platform every day as 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 a year ago so it's not just volume and activity it's participation which is that kind of you know very important network community effect that we're talking about um you know that is that's trending in the right direction um so you know we think all of that continues regardless of the market conditions and i you know, tend to agree with chris that you know the next move is going to be more volatile not less probably and if you if you were a customer that undervalued or underappreciated the sophistication around technology at that moment in time, you paid the price, right? Because that was that was the most you know you know unforgiving, relentless market that I think any of us have ever seen. And if you were sort of not able to keep up with it and not able to take advantage of all of the benefits of technology in the right way, like ouch, like serious ouch. And so you're you know the one thing we can all be sure of is you're never going to make that mistake again because you paid a pretty steep price around all that. Um, so I agree, you know, across the board that that was a moment in time where, you know, the opportunity to learn and to grow and get better was like never, was never more obvious. Um, and I think all of those benefits are, are, are fully carrying on um, now and going forward. Um, it's a, it's a moment in time that I don't think anyone will forget. Yeah. From a number of aspects. Yeah. Uh, the the next question I want to get this one right I want to I got to read because I don't want to mess this one up. <laughs> As presidents of your respective companies, you're highly aligned uh, with your CEOs. We know that, and the strategies of your firms. But I'd like to know what your main priorities are, what you focus on, uh, what you think are important to uh, the success, your success, and the success of uh, of your firm. And, uh, it could be exact. They could be the exact same things, but as Billy said, trying to give investors a little bit of insight of what you guys do and, and what you're focused on as 
as the more or less the presence and COOs of the company. We know I mean, you're I'll, I'll, I'll take it for a quick second, which I mean, I'll, I'll, um, and, 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 you know, and very curious from, from both Mike and, and Chris from their perspectives, but I, I try to, um, as much as I can, and it's been a, it's been a weird year is, is first of all, try to be external and try to connect with clients. And I try to think about things a little bit from just a perspective of like, you know, find the worms, right? Like we're, we're in a great business and it's a great moment in time to be in this business. And there are a lot of things working across the board and we all kind of know that, but not everything's working and not everything's working all the time. Right. So the questions become like, what's not working and where do we focus to make sure that we're investing in it the right way and getting it to work. Um, so from my perspective, that's kind of becomes as much of a priority as, as, as anything, right? We all know kind of like the good news, like what's the bad news and how do I help impact something that's not going as well as I'd like it to go or, or as we'd all like it to go. Any, any particular areas that you uh, don't have to be specific, but, type of issues or something like that? I, you know, to your question about um, sort of a little bit around what happened in March, like I, I continue to think AIX and the, and the customers getting more sophisticated around how they engage with the marketplace and how they find the other side of trades is really one of the most important kind of trends that's out there. And it's still, you know, we use the expression around early innings. It's still quite honestly very early innings there. So I think that can get pushed more and so that's an example of, of something where I personally am like, let's, let's make sure that we keep adding clients into this across the board, because to me, it feels like such an obvious and important kind of trend that's out there. And, and uh, Rich, all uh, very similar areas, but um, one, one particular area is Asia, obviously very focused on, on our growth in Asia. Client onboarding there has been uh, phenomenal for us more recently. Uh, we're seeing heightened levels of uh, volume growth there as well. And obviously uh, the China Bond Connect opportunity is something that we also want to join uh, our competitors, TradeWeb and Bloomberg there. Um, you know, growth of all to all. So we have this wonderful all to all solution in all of our products. Um, how do we leverage that in all protocols uh, and in all ways and, and things like our diversity dealer uh, solution is really leveraging that all-to-all -all solution. So you get really rich liquidity and a diversity dealer um, a, as a result of that, that solution. Uh, I'm still focused on munis. I love the muni market. It is a, a data analytics challenge and our acquisition of muni brokers helps us solve that data uh, analytics challenge. Uh, but it's an enormous market, uh, wonderful spreads. Uh, but like Billy, automation, I think if we can automate order flow and workflow, um, we have within our power the, the chance to change behavior, actually. So it's the automation that's going to change the trading behavior. Um, we've seen that happen in other asset classes. So automating, um, and one of the areas that I'm particularly focused on is we've automated RFQ. Like, that's great, but uh, we need to automate how uh, clients respond to other clients' RFQ. Uh, the savings associated with not crossing the spread is enormous uh, to our investor clients. And, and if we can deliver those savings, even on a small portion of their orders, um, that's a sizable return that they can add to very competitive uh, fund management returns right now. 
you know, we're, we're in a different um, let's see, stage of our stage of our, our life cycle. So I think compared to, um, you know, with Billy talking about looking for the, for the, for the gaps and the, the, uh, the worms, which I think makes a ton of sense. And I certainly all think spend time on that. You know, our business has grown tremendously in the last 12, 18 months in terms of volumes, client base, number of people using the platform every day, you know, including headcount, you know, we're, our headcounts almost doubled since, uh, since everyone went home 15 months ago and, uh, people haven't have barely been back to our offices since. So, you know, our company is in a tremendous, in a, a, a real scaling exercise. And, you know, in, in my role, I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, how are we going to do the next set of things? We are expanding um, asset class-wise. So we've, be, you know, begun to uh, make some moves into emerging markets. Uh, we also have um, some things going on in Asia. I agree it's a tremendous opportunity. We're, um, we're excited about it. Uh, we're, thinking about, um, we're thinking about protocol expansion. Uh, we're doing some, we've got some, some good ideas uh, in, uh, in portfolio trading that we're, uh, that we're excited about and some other things where, you know, I think that the ecosystem approach that we've taken, uh, and, uh, focus on UX and workflows has allowed us, we think, to deliver multiple protocols, uh, well. So we're certainly thinking about what else we can be doing. So in the sort of division of labor, um, CEO versus the president, we've got a, we've got a unique working relationship, Ronnie and myself, where Ronnie is really, um, laser focused and phenomenal at what's happening on the platform, driving client experiences today and tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I'm left with the, uh, with the fun task of uh, worrying about how are we going to keep that up next week, next month, uh, next year, but it's a, uh, you know, it's a good division of labor. Rich. Yeah. Could I make a request maybe for the next time we're able to kind of do a panel together? Could we like, could we bring a villain onto the, onto the um, <laughs> panel? Uh, I, well, I, I thought Chris would play the villain, but he, he really no. Didn't. So I think we need like a real good villain to kind of come in, and we can um, maybe you know. By the way, maybe we, give it some time. Maybe we can turn Mike into the villain. Anything political possible? debate, political debate style. Someone sits here, and everyone else just fires grenades at them. If you start beating them up a little bit, then you would yeah get a little bit more or less agreeable. Well, hopefully next time Rich will be in person. So. That'll be real fun. That'll be real fun. Uh, we are getting close to the end, but I do have one last question. So very smart person uh, in this panel said, you know, you, and we're getting to your sort of sentiment, Billy, but if we get to 40 to 50% market share of say U.S. high grade or, you know, our credit going electronic, we're competitors and we're fighting it out. If we get to 80 or 90%, we're all complimentary because the market, it's just a beautiful world then. Uh, so I guess the question is, you know, what do you see, and, and back to the president's uh, perspective, what do you see that will really make a difference, say, in the next 18 months in taking the next step to that, whether you think it's 40 to 50 or 80 to 90, or what should investors take away uh, from your insights about that that pace go that electronic pace, electronification pace over the next eighteen months, and this would be sort of the conclusion of all this. Well, I, I mean, number one, I do think when you start to, I, I believe in in a tipping point uh, in electronic trading because I've seen it before, and as you go over fifty percent of the market um, being electronic, 
clients start to be challenged who haven't gone. So that it's really the problem of the clients who are left behind in the electronic adoption. Liquidity starts to migrate into the electronic platforms because they're seeing better flow there. And then it's kind of all over for non-electronic. It moves very quickly because of uh, the competitive challenge for the client who's no longer active, who just refused to modernize. And we've seen this and there's examples of clients that were challenged. So I do, do think, think there's a tipping point. Do you think the tipping point is around 50% then? Is that what you think? I think it's over, it's over 50%, but it's not 60 or 70. Um, that's where when you're over 50, um, you know, cl clients are missing out who haven't adopted and clients who aren't fully penetrated, meaning they're still just putting small trades in are going to just see different liquidity uh, directly. So um, electronic trading will, will rip through the credit markets uh, at some point when you hit that tipping point. Um, and that's good for all of us, uh, but it will be hotly competitive. I mean, you look at the competitive nature of the parties, we're all trying to, you know, every time uh, someone has a good idea, we want to each innovate just past that uh, good idea. So it's, it's healthy competition for the clients uh, right now. But um, I, do think, um, I do think electronic trading has a long runway where we're at today. And, and over the next 18 months, I, I think like, like Billy, if we do automate a lot more workflow, well, whether it's a portfolio trade, a list trade, long list trades, um, or if it's working orders, larger block orders over the day and over weeks, um, things like good to cancel don't, don't exist in, in the credit market. All that automation is going to be delivered over the next 18 months yeah. and it will dramatically change behaviors because of the price outcome from adopting those, those uh, electronic behaviors. It, it's rarely like, like perfect silver bullet stuff, right? It, it tends to be a combination on some level. If you think about what we talked about today, we're talking about, you know, we started with the network. Then we talked about like how do you collaborate with the network and how do you get the ba this balance thing right. And then we talked about a bunch of really important kind of innovations that have happened in just one market credit, right? And so it, it tends to be getting kind of all of these things right on some level. And then that kind of winds up moving the ball forward. Um, and we have to keep kind of doing all of that stuff. And, and the truth of the matter is it's gotten more competitive. The stakes are higher. The quality of conversations are stronger and you have to make sure you keep you, you, you keep getting all of those aspects of it like on the screws right you know chris you said something the other day that i think is, is spot on the demand for new electronic solutions is so high that the i think we probably could all rattle off all of the cool things that we are uh looking forward to delivering over the course of the next 12 18 24 months and it is, it's, and it's for us, we know exactly who's going to use them and how it's, it's just about getting them kind of out the door and absolutely iterating, you know, iterating quickly uh, because they're not going to be perfect the first time. They don't, they don't have to be um, there's it's, it, there's, that's the collaborative, uh, that's the collaborative environment, but it's, it's not the case that we are, uh, you know, coming up with these great ideas and then have to go convince the market that these things make sense. The demand in these are the, the, everything we've mentioned is being kind of pulled to the market by demand from, you know, traditional participants, new participants. Uh, I think the market um, is, 
is really ready um, to embrace these tools, protocols, et cetera. It has been very informative. I, I want to wrap, and I didn't prepare you for this, but I'm, I'm still going to ask you. Uh, one last, one prediction for the next 12 to 18 months can be about something being successful. Uh, some could be quantitative. We hit some market shares, hit some innovation, but something where investors can at least think about, you know, this This is what the presidents of these companies, he thinks this could happen or that could happen. Uh, I know we're going to get Chris to dig deep here, but <laughs> I got the Knicks going. I got the Knicks going into the at least the second round next year for making surprise predictions. <laughs> it's going to be related to oh. income trading somehow. Oh come on! <laughs> One prediction. Really? I you know I I, I you know <laughs> there, I have a joke about predicting sort of us all being on a panel again about a year from now. There's some version of a Groundhog Day. <laughs> we already locked but, in. But that. you know, for a second, just maybe like you know a little bit talking you know talking my book. I do predict that the the Nasdaq acquisition will be seen as a good one for TradeWeb. I do believe that's going to be you know we're going to be a good home for that asset, and and I do think that that's a story that will wind up working out. And I think just from our perspective, I think it's important to show the marketplace that we can do a proper um, a proper deal. And I think there's some, in a good way, some pressure on us to show some results there. And I think that that will work out. That's 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 just you know a comment that I would have. That's great. So uh, my prediction is that we are um, underappreciating the demand for ESG slash green bonds, that the mandate that we see today and we we can look at a call it 30 trillion dollar mandate right now um we, we are unable to deliver enough product to the mandate um the product is generally being delivered by bonds and not um stocks so the the only instrument that can satisfy that demand is is the bond market whether it's special uh government securities building infrastructure or it's corporate um uh, bonds uh, building, you know, green-related infrastructure. Uh, the bond market is going to deliver the ESG mandate, but how we position ourselves into that wave of demand, uh, it's unending, and it and it and we're just seeing the the beginnings of a massive mandate from every pension around the globe, uh, and we have to be in the right position for it. That's uh, that's my prediction. And I'll predict some uh, upcoming calamity in the next six months. Before we get out of 2021, we're going to see uh, markets um, really uh, disrupted, um, you know, for, you know, maybe not like last year, but there's going to be some serious market disruption given where inflation is right now. Uh, you know, we've, talk we we've talked about this, but I think the pace of, of kind of systematic liquidity, algorithmic liquidity in the market has, is, uh, its importance in the market is going to, um, you know, maybe not surprise the folks on this panel, but market participants who see that as a, a you know, a fringe thing, I think it's going to move a whole lot more quickly than, uh, than people would imagine it to be. And I think it's a, there's a, you know, real symbiosis between a lot of the stuff we're talking about and a, a segment of the market uh, that's going to be, you know, way more involved um, in, in, in corporates than they've traditionally been. Um, and way more kind of impactful to to the landscape in in a positive way, but that will be part of what what pulls us um, into the next chapters of this story. 
I think this was the best question of all that wasn't on the, on the agenda. But uh, I, I just want to say, I think all three, uh, you guys are all highly respected, you know, in your positions in, in dynam dynamic companies. And so I think investors, uh, you know, even if it's this last prediction, when you say something, you know, like uh, green bonds or uh, your NASDAQ, I, they do, uh, that carries some weight. So uh, now we'll see whether it comes true or not. That'll be the question next year. <laughs> and we'll have you back. That's the draw to get you back. So anyway, I, I, uh, I want to thank you three, you know, talented guys. And uh, it's really, you know, a dynamic space, you know, to watch it every year, you know, some years faster than others, but it's still the, the, the chug up to like, you know, to that inflection point keeps advancing every year. So thank you. Uh, our next uh, speaker for the audience is uh, BGCP at 3.30. Uh, and again, I want to thank Chris and Billy and Mike. And that was just purely, again, out of the way you're showing up. <laughs> <laughs> not, not any priority. So thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Good to thank see you. everyone. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, mm -hmm. Charles. Be well.